Welcome to Tower Talks with Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast. And now for your weekly recap, a timely review of this week's top headlines and takeaways. Here's your host. Welcome to Inside Towers Week in Review. I'm Leslie Stimson, Inside Towers Washington Bureau Chief. With me are John Salentano, Inside Towers Business Editor, and Sharp Smith, our Technology Editor. This episode is sponsored by Inside Towers Intelligence, a quarterly market report that dives deep into the wireless infrastructure ecosystem. It looks at market trends, capital expenditures, relevant M&A transactions, and more. Intelligence is designed for managers, marketers, and investors. Our Q3 issue is available now. An annual subscription also includes an exclusive briefing and online support. For more information or to subscribe, visit InsideTowers.com intelligence. Our first story uh, of the week involves the FAA, FCC, AT&T, Verizon, for lack of a better word, mess over C-band. Tensions rose because after the FCC had studied the issue for at least two, possibly three years, here's how the winners of the auction can operate the licenses safely and not interfere with aviation frequencies. The FAA kind of swooped in at the last minute and said, wait a minute, we think the the 5G on C-band should be delayed because um, we think those operations can interfere with the nearby radio altimeter frequencies, even though there's a massive guard band between them. Um, FCC Commissioner Brendan Carr was uh, pointing out that the guard band is like more two or three times more, over 200 megahertz, then it's more than the aviation industry initially requested. So they, they've been meeting for weeks. At first, um, AT&T rejected a New Year's plea to, for another delay. They had agreed to one delay, which so they would have started up the 5G operations on January 5th. Finally, they agreed to a different delay and also to the proposals that they had put forth a while back that they would um, operate at a lower power around 50-50 US airports and um, for six months. So the new delay means they will start January 19th and the FAA says it will give them a chance to really dig into the problem and figure out a solution. President Biden weighed in. He called the latest agreement a significant step in the right direction. Um, He said his administration is committed to rapid 5G deployment. And then uh, FCC Chairwoman Jessica Rosenworcel said the agreement provides the framework and the certainty needed to achieve our shared goal of deploying 5G swiftly while ensuring air safety. Meanwhile, when it seems like most of the dust settled, uh, Blair Levin, he used to be former chief of staff for uh, former FCC chairman Reed Hunt. He's now a policy analyst with New Street Research. He said that, um, you know, it, it, pressure from the White House and the Department of Transportation and the FAA worked. But he also said the the more reasonable compromise that seems to have been worked out for the carriers, it, it gives um, parties more time. 
but it also means no one is going to court, at least not yet, he wrote in a research note. That was because during the holidays, the Aviation Association filed an emergency petition with the FCC asking them to stop the carriers from deploying 5G on C-band with the implied threat that if you don't do this, we're going to go to court. So that got everybody's attention. Levin says, we think we are in the end game. um, And he's seeing it as uh, a solution will be found in a matter of weeks rather than months. All in all for investors, he continues to believe the delay will not be, as he calls it, material to stocks. And Sharp, that brings us to our next story from you. Yes, Leslie. Uh, on Tuesday, we wrote about the uh, China's, China's semiconductor uh, chip conglomerate, Xinhua Unigroup, which uh, reportedly received a strategic uh, investment of uh, $9.42 billion. And why that's important to them is that uh, uh, it allows them to avoid bankruptcy. Um, last year, they uh, basically were got into trouble. Uh, if you look back at at um, at, at their history, uh, uh, in 2015, they announced plans to invest 47 billion dollars over five years, and they were going to buy uh, the U.S.-based. Uh, company Micron, and they were going to become the world's third biggest uh, chip maker. And uh, since then, uh, the two chip factories that they built uh, have uh, uh, reportedly uh, failed and uh, and may be shut down. And uh, uh, they end up with a, with a mountain of debt. And uh, why this is important to uh, uh, to the world and to the United States is that uh, this company, Xinhua uh, Unigroup, was uh, supposed to be the sort of the cornerstone of, uh, of China's Made in China 2025 industrial movement. Their approach basically is that they're going to become uh, self-sufficient with all their, uh, with all their supply chain. And the reason that is important, we're, we're all looking around the world right now at uh, supply chains and supply chain problems and, uh, and China's rise as a technological uh, power. And, um, the, uh, and the bottom line as far as that's concerned is uh, it's, it's really sort of uh, exposing that the emperor might not have uh, any clothes on, uh, that, uh, that they uh, are not going to be able to, uh, to be as dominant as, uh, as, they, as we believe they would be. And um, so I think we're, we're, watching, we're watching these companies and, and we're also watching the uh, 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 other other countries uh, try to uh, to create their own their own uh, chip supply chains, and uh, so it's sort of the uh, it's the era of uh, of anti globalization, if you will, and so this raises questions as to whether China will actually be able to uh, 
to be its own separate empire, in other words. Well, thank you, Sharp. John, you're going to talk to us about infrastructure stocks. Uh, yes, Leslie, thanks. I um, had an article this week that uh, presented our, our proprietary wireless infrastructure value index. Um, for the past year, uh, we've been tracking the weekly stock performance of 13 key public infrastructure companies. And the resulting index that we've labeled the wireless infrastructure value index is an indication of the relative value of these companies' stock prices as a whole over a moving 52-week interval. So the index includes stock prices from 13 top North American-based infrastructure companies and real estate investment trusts that are operating in the wireless infrastructure business. These include the, the big three tower companies, uh, uh, American Tower, Crown Castle, and, and, and um, SBA. Uh, data centers led by uh, Equinix and um, Digital Realty. And uh, fiber, op fiber network operators, uh, including Lumen and um, uh, Unity. And a couple of diversified digital infrastructure organizations that includes Brookfield Infrastructure Partners and uh, Digital Bridge Group. Um, most of these are, well, these are all based in North America, but they do have operations. Uh, some of them have operations outside of North America. Um, uh, the list originally was 13. It dropped to 12 with the closing of the American Towers acquisition of CoreSight Realty data centers in December. Um, but what we've, uh, what we've been able to demonstrate is that the, the, these infrastructure companies represented an aggregate market capitalization of $465 billion uh, at the end of 2021, with the big three tower companies and the top two data center companies accounting for 84% of that total. So what we do is we, we check the stock prices at the close of, of business uh, Friday, uh, and add them all up and normalize it to a benchmark of 100 and create this, uh, this curve that uh, references uh, the, the, uh, it, it related to the, that benchmark number. So for the year, um, uh, stocks actually uh, achieved a benchmark uh, figure of 127.1, which was the highest for the whole year and actually indicated that stock prices, that cumulative stock prices for these infrastructure companies grew 38% over the year, which is uh, pretty, um, pretty astounding. It's, uh, it, it demonstrates the, the, the strength and health of the, the industry. And uh, it shows the, that the, these companies that are in the infrastructure business are, are able to perform at a high level, given that their customers and tenants being the mobile network operators, uh, uh, private networks, uh, utilities, and others uh, are uh, are all demonstrating a um, uh, high level of activity in building out their networks and utilizing the uh, the infrastructure assets that these companies offer. Curve is not smooth. There were two dips um, uh, over the course of the year that um, indicated you know, the, the the macroeconomic environment that we're in. At the end of the first quarter. I think investors were a little bit surprised that the uh, some of the uh, infrastructure company results weren't as positive as they expected. Uh, part of that had to do with the um, the uh, mobile carriers um, still ramping up with their five G uh, rollouts, and also you know we were in the midst of the of the um, C band auction. So once that concluded, 
and uh, the infrastructure companies and and um, uh, their investors had a better handle on uh, what the outlook was going to be. You saw the stocks rise uh, throughout the year. There was a bit of a, a blip again uh, towards the end of the third quarter. There was lots of concerns raised about in rising in inflation and interest rates, and that kind of um, uh, took a took a little of the polish off the the good news uh, going forward. But once once that abated, once uh, everybody was comfortable with the idea that we're not going to see a, um, a sudden or, or, or wide movements in those in those factors then the, the stocks proceeded continue to increase. So um, we have a detailed analysis of the wireless infrastructure value index in our, our intelligence report. As you mentioned, the Q3 version is out now, and uh, there's a whole section devoted to that that dives into the mechanics and, uh, and the elements that make up the index. Well, thank you, John. Sharp, you're up next with a story about Legato and Nokia. Yes, uh, it's been a while since we've heard uh, anything from Legato Networks. So it was um, actually welcome news to, uh, to hear that they were, uh, they're moving forward with their, with their uh, it's basically going to be a, a nationwide uh, network that uh, will cater to uh, <clears throat> private 5G uh, uh, networks and uh, using the uh, L-band spectrum, which is uh, in the 1600 megahertz band. And uh, what, uh, what the announcement is, is uh, uh, Nokia is going to provide them with, uh, with, the, with the edge computing capabilities, which are really so important to private wireless uh, networks. So what, uh, what you've got is you've got 35 megahertz coast to coast in the mid-band uh, spectrum, a uh, little bit lower than mid-band, but uh, pretty much mid-band spectrum. And uh, you've, got a, uh, uh, you've got a company that's uh, going to be rolling out uh, uh, their network. Uh, it said they, they plan to commence market engagement with enterprise customers early in 2022. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what that means, but uh, commercial availability of the FDD spectrum uh, will be ex uh, ex expected at the end of this year. And they're also anticipating developing uh, TDD uh, uh, capabilities in the uh, uh, upper part of the uh, 1670 to uh, 1675 megahertz band uh, at some time in the near future. So they'll have both uh, TDD or FDD this year and then TDD um, eventually. So I think you'll see this with every, uh, every carrier, uh, especially every carrier that uh, is, wants to uh, be, be a part of the private uh, 5G uh, trend is that uh, they, they're gonna have to have the edge compute capability in order to deliver 5G uh, uh, quality uh, networks. All right, thanks, Sharp. And now you're segueing into a story about NASTEC. Yeah, this was, uh, this was a surprise. It happened, uh, uh, it was originally announced uh, the week of Christmas 
not exactly a great time to uh, uh, announce news, but uh, they and they closed the deal um, very quickly. Uh, we uh, we caught wind of it uh, earlier this week that uh, that that deal was indeed closing, and uh, so uh, Mastec already a very large company uh, with. Uh, Oh, I don't, I can't see it on my screen right here, but they've got a lot of folks. Um, uh, Hinkles McCoy has been around for 71 years. Uh, they've got, they're the largest US utility contractor with 5,100 employees and they've got $1.5 billion in annual revenue. So they were a large character uh, in this game themselves. And, uh, the reason that that uh, Mastec said that they wanted them is that they uh, said they want to uh, uh, diversify into uh, electric utility services, and uh, and in particular renewable power generation. So it's uh, it I think it's I think it's part of what you're going to be seeing more of is uh, is consolidation of uh, tower services. Uh, smaller companies can't compete. And uh, so you're going to see uh, more and more companies merging with more and more companies. And uh, so, oh yeah, here it is. Uh, Mastec has 22,000 uh, employees coast to coast. So uh, the, uh, the deal was uh, $420 million in cash, including the repayment of uh, of Henkel's debt plus two million shares in Mastec common stock. So I think we're gonna be covering a lot of mergers in the tower services business in the, uh, in the coming years. Hmm. Thank you for that wrap up. John, you're up next with a story from T-Mobile and Crown Castle. Uh, yes, Leslie, yesterday uh, T-Mobile and Crown Castle um, made an announcement that they renewed their master lease agreement. Uh, this time uh, for a 12-year period. Uh, and it has some pretty interesting implications across the board for both companies. Um, T-Mobile is, is Crown Castle's largest customers. They account for about a third of Crown Castle's tower leasing revenues. And um, at the same time, they're exposed to uh, decommissioning activities that T-Mobile will engage in, is starting to engage in, will continue for a few years um, as they turn down a redundant or overlapping sprint sites as part of the network. T-Mobile today has a network of about 110,000 cell sites, and they're they're striving to get it down to about 85,000 cell sites uh, when the um, the uh, the rationalization of the network uh, assets are is complete. This left Crown Castle highly exposed to losses as these uh, non-renewals of these sites uh, kicked in over the next several years. This agreement smooths that out and I think gives both companies a better picture of what's going to happen when and where. Um, it, it actually uh, uh, adds adds to Crown Castle's site leasing revenues um, uh, for this year, starting this year, uh, adds about $250 million to a guidance that they provided late last year of uh, nearly $6 billion for the year. And um, 
the other part of the agreement is that um, uh, T-Mobile is committing to um, uh, 35,000 small cells as part of their network densification build over that period. And um, as, as with that, they're actually um, going to cite numbers, uh, commit to certain numbers of cell site deployments each year for the next five years. Uh, this again helps Crown Castle. Crown Castle announced uh, in the second quarter this year that their cell, small cell builds, and by the way, uh, Crown Castle probably has the most small cells of any tower company uh, serving the, their, their mobile network operator customers, but they had announced that their typical 10,000 a year small cell build was being cut in half ostensibly because some of their larger customers, and we think it was Verizon is probably the main, the main impact here, had scaled back on their small cell deployments to focus on their macro cell build outs in uh, um, mid band and low band, uh, uh, um, get that done first, get wide area coverage nationwide, and then move into densification with small cells. So that pushed out the demand for small cells that, um, uh, Crown Castle had on its books for several years. This deal with T-Mobile kind of puts that difference back up again. And um, so the net net of it all is that it's it's positive for uh, for both companies. It, it'll help T-Mobile complete its uh, nationwide build out and have access to, to Crown Castle towers across the country. And particularly in major markets where Crown Castle has uh, a lot of their own fiber network. You know, Crown, unlike the other tower companies, has a, a, a diversified portfolio of infrastructure that not only includes towers, but small cells and about an 80,000 route mile fiber network uh, that's that's really keyed in on, on major cities around the country. So yeah, both companies are touting the, the positivity of, of this agreement. And uh, uh, I think we'll start to see results reflected um, uh, early in, in into this year, as uh, as the uh, some elements of this agreement kick in. I'm talking and it's telling me I'm muted. Okay. Uh, thank you, John. It used to be people bought cars based on how powerful the engines were. For the last decade or so, people are basing their decisions on what's in the dashboard. Sharp Smith has a story about 5G in the car. Sorry. Yes, I say uh, um, the this year's uh, CES uh, 2022 is uh, uh, particularly exciting because uh, uh, what we've been talking about for uh, quite a while, cellular vehicle to uh, to everything uh, communications, is uh, is now becoming. Uh, a reality, and uh, and it's a reality because the 5G chips that uh, that make that a reality are now being included in the uh, in the cars that uh, that are being featured at CES. So uh, this all goes back to uh, release 16 of uh, the 3G uh, PP uh, standard. So uh, uh, so what we've talked about with uh, the vehicle being able to uh, communicate with other cars, stop lights, with stop signs, whatever, whatever you want it to, uh, to communicate with. Uh, this is the technology that, uh, that's going to be uh, allowing that. So uh, 
Automotive World uh, notes that CV2X, as they call it, uh, systems can prevent uh, an accident from happening because it has the ability to act so quickly uh, through, uh, through the latency uh, gains that, uh, that 5G will, will provide. And uh, gave a couple of examples uh, um, such as you could take control of it over a semi-autonomous vehicle in case of a medical emergency, um, or you could take control over a, a driverless semi-truck in a complex uh, uh, traffic situation. So, uh, so yeah, I'd say uh, I'd say that we've. Uh, uh, Connectivity is part of the of what they call the case megatrend, which is uh, C being connectivity, A being autonomous, S is shared, and E is electric. So we're seeing a lot of exciting changes and a lot of movement in the area of connectivity, and uh, uh, and especially with uh, electric uh, vehicles. So. Uh, so yeah, this is a space that's just uh, really taking off. So uh, uh, like I said, it's, uh, it's an exciting time and 5G is really at the, at the core of it. All right, well, that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Inside Towers Week in Review. We'll see you in another week. Thank you for listening to Tower Talks. To subscribe to our podcast, our daily newsletter, or use our other industry resources, please visit InsideTowers.com. Until next time, you've been listening to Tower Talks from Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast.